I hope that you uh, read your bulletins and the little insert that we have. Not right now. Carla, put yours down. <laughs> uh, this shows just some of the ministries that we have going with our church. And that was one of the reasons that I decided to come here. Or It was because this church, more than any church that I've ever been a part of, is focused upon ministry to people, feeding those that are hungry, teaching those that cannot read and write, giving clothes to people, uh, giving water to people, whatever is needed. Uh, we as a church try to minister to those needs. And I thank you for that. I'm going to be reading today from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. It says, My son, do not forget my teachings, and keep my commandments in your heart. If uh, you're like me, as we get older, we start forgetting things. Maybe that hasn't happened to any of you here, but that does happen. I believe that part of the reason is because we have so much crammed in there by the time we reach our age that it's hard to pull them back up again. But you know, forgetting is not always a bad thing. A couple of years ago, I was watching on 60 Minutes with Mary Lou Henner, and that was the lady that was on Taxi. And it turns out she's one of the unique individuals. She can remember virtually everything about every day of her life, all the way back to her teenage years. And you can give her any day, and she can tell you what day of the week it came on. She can tell you what she had for breakfast, what she wore that day, all the things that she encountered. And I was thinking, man, that would be really good to have that kind of memory. Uh, but not so much. It turns out all the bad things that have happened, all the tragedies are just as though they are yesterday's memories. And so sometimes forgetting can actually be a great advantage, which means I'm in really good shape. But you know, there are some things that we must not forget. There are some practices of Christ and also others in the New Testament that I believe that we have almost forgotten about. And I want to look at these. We're looking at discipleship, and that's what our series is about. A disciple is one that is an apprentice to Christ. He is following in the steps of Christ wherever it might lead. And so even these forgotten things need to be remembered and practiced. First of all, uh, there is fasting. A little bit further, point one. Ah, there you go. Uh, so Jesus is talking here and he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they, are, they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. Now in that day, uh, the Jewish people did fast a couple of days a week. Mostly on Mondays and Thursdays. However, there were some that misused this. When they would fast, they would tear their clothes and have dirty clothes on. They would put powder on their faces to look even more pale or paler than they were. In order that people might look at them and say, Look, this person has to be a religious person. Look at what he's doing. He's fasting. It's interesting to me some of the main religious practices, Jesus said, are to be done only with God. 
When you fast, he said, you know, clean yourself up, put, put some uh, cream in your hair, and don't let everybody know that you're fasting. Only God knows that you're doing that. When you pray, go to a lonely place, maybe a closet or in a room, and there pray before God, and God will hear your prayer. And when you give an offering, don't let anybody else know what you're giving. He said, don't even let the left hand know what the right hand is giving. These things are not to be done for the glory of man, but for the glory of God. So when you fast, you need to pray in that way. Now, the Jews had some special days of fasting. One was the Day of Atonement. And this was the day that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would... Uh, be for, he would ask for the forgiveness for the sins of all the people on that day. Then uh, if somebody died in the family, they would sometimes have professional mourners that would come in, but they would also sometimes fast on that day. And then when a person was caught in the grips of sin, uh, they would sometimes fast in order to repent and to show their repentance before God. But then, probably one of the most important is when people were seeking a revelation from God, trying to discover what God's will was for their lives, uh, they would fast. Now, this is something that I have done uh, a number of times. Uh, first of all, in, in moving, when we came to Mexico over three years ago, we first of all stayed in an Airbnb trying to figure out what it was like. And we loved the weather and loved the people here. And I had uh, one son in Guadalajara and another that had been there and will probably one day come back. And so that was a consideration. But we also prayed and fasted for several days. And, and you know, I really believed that God was sending me here. I, I did not understand that He wanted me to be a pastor again. I thought I came here to retire, and so that was not in my thinking, but I, I saw all the needs. There are so many poor people. Half the people here are living in poverty. And I was thinking, you know, maybe I can do something to help alleviate that. And God had other plans. But I did, I did the prayer and the fasting just to discover God's will. And then uh, I was serving as the pastor of congregational care, and the pastoral search committee messed up and they came and asked me if I would serve as pastor. And I, I said, uh, I'll, I'll consider it. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't we all pray and fast before God? And so the committee and I, we all uh, fasted. And at the end of that time, they came to the conclusion that indeed God was calling me here. And I came to the conclusion, yes, God was calling me to serve as pastor. And so fasting, I believe, can be a very important thing. You know, in the New Testament, uh, it says that Jesus fasted. In the Old Testament, Moses fasted before God gave him the Ten Commandments. So fasting was an important thing. In the book of Acts, it says they prayed and they fasted. One of those occasions took place when they were getting ready to send out missionaries. And so they fasted and they prayed and they selected Paul and Barnabas. And then they laid hands on them and they sent them out as missionaries to go around the, the known Mediterranean world. So fasting and praying was important. There's an early book called the Didache. And this describes some of the early 
uh, instructions of the church. And they fasted on different days than the Jews did. They fasted on Tuesdays and on Fridays. Later, John Wesley kind of took that up. And Wesley believed that fasting at least a couple of days a week was very important. And he would refuse to ordain anybody that did not practice fasting. But why would anybody fast? First of all, I think that there's a health reason to fast. Uh, do you know, uh, there's something recently that's gotten kind of popular. It's called intermittent fasting. Have you heard of that? And that is where you, you can eat within an eight-hour window, but then you fast for 16 hours. And they started off by testing mice and rats, and they found that if they ate the same number of calories within that eight-hour window and fasted for 16, they would lose weight. But those that were fed the same calories that extended it, like you and me at eating at 10 o'clock at night, uh, they gained weight. And that's why sometimes we gain weight. <laughs> but the fasting has also found to have health benefits. It's been suggested that uh, when you fast, it recharges your immune system. And so it's good to fast three or four times a year in that way. So there's some health benefits. But spiritually, that's not the most important. One of those is that it gives you self-discipline. I received a letter yesterday. Somebody not affiliated with this church in any way. But that person said that, uh, you know, at one point, he was caught in the grips of uh, watching pornography. It was a, a prob real problem. He realized that at the time, but he didn't stop. And it was through prayer and fasting that he was able to break that cycle. Sometimes we're seeking self-discipline to be able to deal with the temptations that we as Christians face. And then fasting brings us closer to God. You fast, every time you get hungry, you think about God. And I've, I found that that happens to me when fasting, you know, get, I get hungry often. <laughs> And it makes me think about God and I pray to God. And if you do that for two or three days, it changes your perspective about who God is. And then, of course, there's the important part, and that is the revelation. You're asking God to reveal His will to you. You know, if you go through this life and you miss out on the will of God, you've wasted an entire life. The only things that are really significant in life are those things that are eternal. So when you're not doing God's will, you're messing up on your main task in life. And I've worked in the prison for 15 or 16 years. Most of you know that. Started as a chaplain and ended up as an assistant, a deputy warden. But I was involved in the fasting for the Muslims during that time. It was our job to make sure that they could worship God with freedom. And we were to facilitate that. And the Muslims would fast during Ramadan for about a month. That means that they could not eat between sunup and sundown. So they had to eat first at about 5.30 or so in the morning. And then they had to eat last after 6 or 7 o'clock whenever the sun went down. And they were very faithful in that. Now, if they can be that faithful in fasting, I believe that you and I should be as well. This is one of the forgotten things, one of the forgotten practices from the New Testament. Now, John Wesley believed in fasting. 
And so uh, he, he encouraged his followers to do so. Uh, George Whitfield was the same. He, he encouraged fasting because this was considered to be an important thing. A way of finding God and finding out God's will. Hudson Taylor, the great uh, missionary to China that started the China Inland Mission, talked about the fasting of the Chinese people. And he said, nobody really wants to give up food. <laughs> we, we enjoy food too much. And when we fast, we feel weaker and we feel a little bit sick. But they did this because it drew them closer to God. They realized that they were helpless without God, that they were actually weak. And they needed God and the presence of God in their lives. So the first forgotten practice is fasting. And I, I think maybe as a, a church, we ought to encourage prayer and fasting days periodically. Secondly, we've forgotten about confessing. James says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess to one another. I was reading about uh, some robbers in San Diego and they got caught and they were brought to trial and the prosecutor was talking to one of the witnesses. He said to the witness, uh, were you there at that place at such and such a time and such and such a date? And the person said, yes, I was. And did you see the robbery take place? Yes, I did. And did you witness the robbers that came into the store? Said yes. And could you point out those if they're here in the courtroom today? And you didn't really have to say anything because the two robbers raised their hand. They were from California. <laughs> the Wesleyans also uh, practiced confessing. During the great awakenings that took place, uh, Wesley encouraged them to get together. The men would be in one place in small groups and the women in a small group elsewhere. And they had accountability groups. That is, they would confess their sins one to another. Uh, they, they actually would sing and they would pray and study the Bible. But the main reason for meeting was so that they might confess their sins one to another. Can you imagine how that might change your life? If you knew that at the end of the week you were going to have to go before this group and explain what you were doing, that would certainly change your actions quite a bit. Both positive and negative. This happened in the Old Testament. David committed great sin before God. He committed adultery and then he committed murder. For one entire year, he lost the joy of his salvation with God. And then Nathan the prophet came to him and he told him a parable. And when David condemned the man in the parable, Nathan said, you are the man. You are the man. He confessed before God but he also confessed before Nathan. Most often, when we think about confessions, we think about the, the Catholic confessional booth. And there you've seen all the pictures on television if you've never been in a confessional booth. And uh, there's a little layer between. And uh, the penitent person tells about his sins. And in the Catholic Church, this is regarded as a sacrament having saving quality. 
And the person has to go there at least one time every year to make confession before the priest. Now, as Protestants, we have uh, rebelled against that. Maybe that's one reason why we don't do any kind of confessing. But that is wrong. The Bible says that we are indeed to confess to one another. You need somebody to hold you accountable for your life. To hold you accountable before God. I believe that as believers, we need at least somebody else. It could be your husband and wife. It could be a friend. Somebody that's going to hold the confidence and not tell everybody else everything that you've been doing. For goodness sake, if everybody else knew the things that we had done, none of us would be able to come to church and hold our head up. Confession, I believe, is important. Uh, Charles Colson, in his book on being born again, talks about how Richard Nixon could never admit anything. He said uh, Nixon would come in and he had a red face from a cold and he was dripping from his eyes and his nose and he'd be coughing and sneezing. But still he would never admit that he had a cold. Well, that got him into trouble, of course, with Watergate because it wasn't the crime that caused him to have to leave office. It was the cover-up. There is no cover-up if you're confessing your sins one to another. Sin, I believe, thrives in the darkness. As long as nobody else knows what you're doing, you can do pretty much what you want to do. But when other people find out, it brings that sin into the light and you're much less likely to commit it. You know, when I go to the airport, it's a little annoying sometimes. You have to, you're searched. You have to put your baggage through this little... Uh, cart and, and they check all that out and they scan it and they x-ray it and they x-ray you and then they patch you down and if they're, if you leave, happen to leave a buckle on they, they're really going to check you all up and down you have to take your shoes off take your belt off take everything out of your pockets because they're going to check you carefully to see if you're bringing in something you're not supposed to in ancient Thailand they had a similar metal detector they put lodestone on the wall that's a kind of natural magnet. And if somebody was coming in to try to assassinate the king, when they would pass through, that lodestone would pull their sword or their knife just a little bit to the side. And there were guards watching for any kind of movement. If they saw that movement, they would seize that person and apprehend him and probably take his life as well. In the same way, our sins need to come to light. If we try to hide them, then they're more likely to cause us to move further and further into the darkness. It is only by telling somebody else who can pray for us and hold us accountable that that doesn't happen. Well, you know, in our Presbyterian churches, every Sunday we have a prayer of confession, and that's good. And then we have a, a time of silent prayer of confession, that's always good. You know, uh, the Bible says that there is one mediator between men and God, and that is Jesus Christ. It's good to go to Jesus and you know, lift it up. And then finally we have the assurance of forgiveness. But all of that is something that we're still doing in private. Sometimes I believe that it's necessary to tell somebody else that they can carry that burden with us. 
The Bible says to bear one another's burdens. Sometimes we need to be willing to do that. And it's only by confession to another believer that that is possible. And then there is the final thing that we forget. And that is celebrating. In 2 Samuel, supposed to have a 2 in front of that, wearing the linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Now, there is a reason for us coming together every Sunday and celebrating. We are celebrating the Lord's Day. This is the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And we ought to be celebrating that, right? I see Linda smiling. and I love her. She uh, smiles and she lifts up her hand. We need to be celebrating that day. We celebrate also our salvation because Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. We should be celebrating that more vigorously than we are. We should be celebrating every good and perfect gift that comes from above because God is the one that gives us everything that we have. The food that you eat. The water you drink. David said, I've, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed baking bread. Neither have I. We should celebrate that. Jesus celebrated. They actually called him a glutton and a wine-bibber probably because he seemed to be having too much fun and celebrating just a little bit too much. But Jesus came into Jerusalem the last time riding upon a colt. They laid palm leaves before him. And they said, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They were celebrating the fact that Jesus was the Christ and they had been waiting for him. One way of uh, celebrating, I guess, is by dancing. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now I have a confession to make. My wife laughs at me when I dance. I know you're shocked by that, but she does. Not just a little bitty chuckle. I mean, she barely laughs when I'm dancing. And so, I like to watch her laugh, so I dance sometimes just to have her to say something and to laugh. And she tells me, this sounds really prejudiced, she says, white men really can't dance. <laughs> Be that as it may... <laughs> David danced with all of his might. And you know what happened? He was dancing before the Lord and his wife Michael saw this and she was disgusted with him and she said to him, what in the world were you doing? You're the king. You're acting like a slave and all these slave girls and others are watching you. And he said, I'm dancing before the Lord. And as they continued the conversation, he said, I am celebrating before God. How do we show our celebration with God? Sometimes God, unless you're a white man, God may be calling you to dance. And you know, that's totally unpresbyterian. However, in the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came with great power. And when God's Spirit came, they did some unpresbyterian things. They said... There was a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
there was a fire-like experience where they were doused in fire and they began to speak in other tongues and everyone heard in his own language. And they were so caught up in this, the other people that saw them said, they must be drinking a lot of wine. And when Peter stood up, he spoke and he said, no, they're not drunk with wine as you might think. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is to fulfill what the prophet Joel said about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So know this, if the Spirit of God comes in our midst, there may be some things that you do that you are not anticipating that you might do. The Holy Spirit changes our whole way of thinking. And in Ephesians, Paul said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this morning we, we prayed and we asked that God might fill our congregation today with His Holy Presence, with the Holy Spirit. And that's our desire and that's our heartfelt need. And then, you know, what else might we be doing if the Holy Spirit is really here? Well, we might be lifting up holy hands to the Lord. And that's what it says in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. To lift up holy hands to the Lord. You know, sometimes... I may be sitting at the house and listening to Christian music and I don't know, it just seems worshipful. I'll just lift up my hand. Nobody else is there. I'm just worshiping God. Sometimes I'll start signing a song. You, you knew that I interpret it. Sometimes I do that here, not really thinking about it. I just do it because I feel the Holy Spirit and God is working. This last week, Tom came over to my house and he was interviewing Sylvia and Sylvia is going to be giving her testimony in another month or so and he asked her a strange question Tom asked all kinds of strange questions and he said uh, what is it that you miss most about being in prison and I was shocked at the answer she said uh, the freedom <laughs> can you imagine that the freedom in prison and she, how so she said well, there in prison, as we were worshiping, we would all lift up our hands to God. Everybody would lift up their hands and they weren't thinking about what anybody else was saying or anybody else was thinking. They were just praising God. What a shame if we don't have that kind of freedom. I, I love watching those that lift up their hands. And sometimes we might feel a little bit inhibited about that, but we should not. It's a biblical practice. Lift up holy hands to the Lord. If God's Spirit is leading you to do something like that, you need to do it. If He's not leading you, don't do it. You should have that freedom one way or the other. And then there's the Amen. Nehemiah 5.13, among other places, said, And all the people said, Amen. I've been in churches... This is not an amening church. I've been in churches that were Amen churches. And I love when somebody says amen, which means right on. Praise God. Right on. Amen. And, and, and you know, when somebody, when somebody says amen, that, that charges me up a little bit because that says that the Spirit of God is moving them to do something, not just to sit there and listen like a log out in the pond. It's, they're actually doing something because God's Spirit is moving within them. And preaching becomes not a monologue, not something that I do. 
that the Holy Spirit is allowing other people to participate in a dialogue. I've been in black churches and you, know, you prepare a sermon. Sometimes I've just flipped right on through and preach something else because I was so caught up when they were saying, Preach on, brother! <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's, it's all exciting to watch other people being involved and that only comes about when the Holy Spirit of God is in that place. Don't be too Presbyterian. Presbyterians like to be proper. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is there. Uh, yeah, don't be, uh, you can be more like some of us that were Baptist in background. Or maybe the way that they were 40 years ago. But before they got sophisticated. But listen, feel free to worship God with celebration. I, I was watching the LSU football game last night. That's my team. They're number one in the country. And my, my wife had gone out to do some shopping, but it's typical for me. Sometimes they make a great play, and I'll say, yes! And, and she jumps. all Every time she jumps. And so I, it's better for her not to be there. And if, if you were an LSU fan, you would understand. But, you know, you've been in the same situation where your team is doing well and you get all excited about it. Well, listen... What I'm talking about is not an enthusiasm. It is the movement of the Holy Spirit. Completely different. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they didn't have to do anything except allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. When the Holy Spirit's working, it's not a contrived kind of enthusiasm. It is the working of God in our midst. When that happens, I believe that celebration leads to dedication. In an African church some time ago, there were a number of very new Christians, and they had a day of celebration. And on that day, people came and brought some offerings to the Lord. Some came and they gave very small amounts, but there was one girl who's a recent convert, and she gave like 87 cents, which was a huge amount. In fact, uh, the missionary was there, thought maybe she got this in the wrong way. Maybe she had stolen the money. And so he brought the conversation around to how she had been able to do that uh, in more or less an inconspicuous way. And she said what she had done was she had gone to the neighbor farmer and she said, I will work for you for the rest of my life. And she took all the money that he gave her and gave that to the Lord. Celebrating leads to dedicating. May all of us be like that. Forgotten practices of a Christian. Fasting, confessing, celebrating. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our gracious and almighty God, thank you for being in our midst today. Thank you for your holy presence. And we pray that you might stir our hearts and our minds. We pray that the things that we have done today for worship blesses your name. And we pray that you will find this well-pleasing in your eyes.
Jesus' name we ask. Amen.